Our reading today comes from Acts 2, 1 through 21. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Next, what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that's all. Then Peter stepped forward with the, uh, with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and the residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk as some of you are, assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see at, was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit, even on my servant, ser servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red. Before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives, but everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Chip, and thank you, Sienna. She did such a great job reading all of those names. I'm glad I didn't have to do it. So uh, it's really such a privilege and a pleasure for me to be here with you today. Um, many of you know who I am. I've been here many, many times. And many of you know that in the last six months, I've experienced a bit of a career change and um, went from being the executive director of Community Helping Hands to the executive director of United Way. And somebody once asked me in this last six months, they said, well, are you still going to be preaching uh, now that you're at United Way? And it kind of gave me pause for a minute. And one of the things that's happened to me in the last six months is that I've been thinking a lot about vocation and what someone's true vocation is. And I've been redefining, actually, not so much redefining, but remembering what my vocation is. And what happens sometimes when big changes happen in your life is that it makes you go back and rethink other important moments in your life. And so... Um, I began to realize that my vocation was not pastoring, that my vocation was not preaching, 
that I had been living out my vocation long before I became a pastor, long before I went to seminary, that I had been living out my vocation even as a teenager, as a 13-year-old. And I'm still working on the words for it, and I'm shaping it, but I think my vocation is something like making really real the beauty and the purposes and the justice of God wherever I'm at. And I think I've been doing that for a long time. And I'm realizing that vocation has nothing to do with your job. It has nothing to do with your circumstances. It has nothing to do with whether you're being really good or really bad, whether you're in your place in your life where you're really like sinning a lot or you're really like healthy and vital like, like Betsy talked about. Your vocation is always your vocation no matter where you at, you're at, no matter what your circumstances are. It's your unique and particular call and you can live it out in so many different ways. There's not just one way to do that. But it's hard, right? Especially if you've been used to living your vocation out in a very particular way using very particular tools. And so that's kind of where I'm at in my spiritual life right now when I think about vocation. And we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit, and I'm, I swear I'm going to get to my sermon at some point, but um, this is all just pre-stuff, I promise. Um, <laughs> You know, we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit, and there's this great line that happens in Acts, and it's after this huge conflict in the church. And the conflict is over whether or not they should include Gentiles in the church, right? And this is like a really big deal. This is a huge conflict they have because the Gentiles are not part of the people of God. They are not people that you eat with or you interact with or you intermarry with. They are not cool, and they realize that the Holy Spirit wants to include the Gentiles too, and it's a big deal. And they, as they wrestle with this as a community, they say this line that says, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to include them. And then do you know what they do? They go back and they reread the scriptures from the beginning and they begin to realize that that plan was there all along, but they had never seen it before when they read the scriptures, right? So they go back and they see things in the holy book that they had never seen and they realize that it was always there all along. And that's kind of how it feels to me with vocation. I didn't even know what my true vocation was even though I had been talking and preaching and living what I thought was my vocation until something new happened. And then you go back and you keep going back, and you begin to see what was there all along. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. <clears throat> so about a year ago, I was asked to be the commencement speaker at Southwestern's high school graduation. Some of you might have even been there. And... Um, and I was very honored to be asked, and as I began to prepare for my speech, I actually found myself a little stumped, because even though I had preached hundreds of sermons, I had never done a graduation speech. I was like this graduation speech virgin, and I was stumped because when I preach, I always have something to kind of ground me, right? An idea about God, a vision for the church, a biblical text, right, that kind of frames everything. And, and I know that in the sermon, I'm going to talk about God or faith or, or the church at some point, but here I was with this high school graduation with this general instruction to say something inspiring at this particular moment in these high school kids' lives, 
And the implication was that though I was a pastor, and they knew that and recognized that, it was not to be religious in nature. And that was the only direction that I was given, right? No frame, no nothing, just be inspirational, would you please, you know? And, and if you could be funny, that'd be great too, because everybody likes funny. And, and if you could just make it interesting, right? But that's it. And so you might see why I was a little speechless at first in this speech. And so what I did was the best that I could, which was to start with the truth. And, and if you know me, you know that I'm a little bit snarky, like sometimes. And so I started with the truth that in spite of what they've been told, the future might not be as bright as they had thought. That it wasn't going to be all stars and leaping over moons and all those like inspirational cliches that you see you know, in pretty words on Facebook. Um, but that, in fact, it was a lot more unpredictable than they might like. That they really didn't know what was going to happen next to them. That most of what was going to happen was going to be completely out of their control. And then I told them a story about a time in my life when I had experienced something very similar. And the story goes like this. About four years ago, I was working at my office at Community Helping Hands. Uh, it was a Saturday. I happened to be 40 weeks pregnant, and I was, in fact, one day past my due date, and something unexpected happened to me. Um, in the blink of an eye, I don't even know what happened, something just sort of crazy happened, and I slipped on a little piece of water, and I tripped, and all of a sudden, I found myself like sort of lying in the corner, and I looked down, and my knee was completely dislocated. I mean, like, it was supposed to be right here in the center, and it was like over here on the side of my, my, my leg. And I'm telling you, it hurt. It hurt a lot. That day, I said some words that were not very respectable. Uh, they were definitely not pastoral, and they are definitely not repeatable here in this context today. Uh, it hurt. <laughs> and it really hurt a lot when the EMTs arrived. And they attempted to put me onto the stretcher, and the force of gravity pulled my knee down even further. And I said some more of those unrepeatable words. And it hurt a lot when I finally got to the ER, and I managed to get into the ER. And the doctor came in, and he said to me, Miss Roller, he said, normally, when someone has a dislocated knee, we give them some narcotics to dull the pain when we pop it back into place. But because you're 40 weeks pregnant, and um, if we give you these narcotics, there's a very good chance that your baby is going to go into serious respiratory distress. You need to decide what you want to do. Now, I actually thought about it for like 30 <laughs> seconds. Because did I mention it like really hurt a lot? <laughs> um, and, but my, my better parental self stepped up, and, and I said to him, no, no drugs, just pop it back into place. And he Bam! Slide of a, just slam my knee back into place. And I screamed some more of those unrepeatable words. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you, as soon as that happened, I felt immediately better. Which didn't mean that I was pain-free, because it still hurt a lot, and there would still be a ton of recovery, and I would have to go through physical therapy, because all the muscles and the tendons had been torn and stretched in ways that they never should have been pulled. And in fact, my knee has never quite been the same since that day that day when everything happened in a blink of an eye in a way that I could not have predicted. It certainly wasn't how I planned to give birth to my daughter, Kala, who, by the way, was born the very next day. I dislocated my knee on the 15th of February. She was born on the 16th of February. I will always remember 
those two days of my life. Now, why did I choose to tell that story to a room full of graduates, right? High school graduates who, you know, like maybe don't care about dislocated knees or pregnant women, right? Well, first of all, I figured there was no way that they were going to remember their high school graduation speaker, but they would definitely remember the girl that got her knee dislocated. But secondly, I wanted them to know that in the next phase of their life, they too were going to experience some dislocation. Now, it probably wasn't going to be an actual physical bone dislocation, but, but they were going to experience emotional dislocation as their lives changed. And they were maybe going to experience some intellectual dislocation as they learned new things that they hadn't learned. Or they might experience a kind of career or job or vocational dislocation as they began to discover who they were going to be. Or they might experience a spiritual dislocation as they learned things about faith and God and new ideas that they had never heard before. Or they might even begin to experience a relational dislocation as relationships with people that they deeply loved both began and ended, right? They were going to have, at some point in their life, dislocating experiences where everything got pulled out of place. It was not where it should be. It would probably happen in a way that was totally unexpected or unpredictable. And I told them that night that it was going to be, at best, uncomfortable and, at worst, incredibly painful that they were not going to like it, that it was going to make them anxious, that it was going to make them afraid, that they probably weren't going to know how or why it even happened. But I promised them their lives would get put back into place after these dislocating experiences, and the pain would go away, although what's true was that their lives would never be the same again, that they would be changed by it, but that they were going to be okay. And as I spoke these words to these high school graduates that promised dislocation and things getting all pulled out of place, and as I told them stories of other young people whose lives had been dislocated like that, but it had been those things that put them on their true path, I realized that I was not just speaking to the high school graduates, but I was speaking to their parents and to those teachers and to the administrators and everybody else sitting on the stage with me. And in fact, I was pretty sure that most of the adults in those audience probably needed to hear those words, maybe even more than the high school graduates. Because the truth is, all of us have faced, or are currently facing, or will face, dislocating experiences of all kinds. Emotional, relational, spiritual, right? Career, all those things. Intellectual. But here's what I then begin to realize and have been reflecting on. If you look at the Bible, you begin to realize that our God is a dislocating God. That God's spirit is more often than not pulling things out of place and pushing us toward dislocation and then putting them back together again. And the people who choose to follow that God inevitably end up having dislocating experiences, and lots of them. So you have people like Abraham, right, who, who was told to leave behind his family and his country and everything he knew to go to a place that God would show him, right? That was geographical and social dislocation, 
Or you have his grandson, Jacob, who you might remember was kind of a known cheater and liar and like a general troublemaker his whole life long, literally from birth. And there was that one experience he had where he wrestled with God the night before he was going to meet his brother Esau, who hated him and wanted to kill him. And what resulted from that wrestling, do you remember this, was a hip dislocation, right? A name change, a blessing and reconciliation with his brother. And of course, a limp. He was forever changed by that dislocating experience, as was his family. Thank God for dislocation. There's Joseph, remember the story of Joseph, whose dislocating experience be, was, was being sold into slavery and then put into an Egyptian prison and then becoming a person of power in that same Egyptian regime. But the most dislocating thing of all was that years later he comes face to face with the brothers who sold him into slavery and he realizes in that moment that what they intended for evil, God intended for good. Thank God for dislocation. And then there's Moses, of course, who every darn time he was in the presence of God experienced dislocation. Remember the burning bush and the shoes? Remember him standing in front of the Red Sea parted? Remember him at the top of the the mountain receiving the commandments of God? Remember in the cleft of the rock as the glory of God passed him by? Thank God for dislocation. The Israelites were literally and geographically dislocated as they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Every stinking time, they found themselves in exile in which, I think it's Pastor Julia that calls it the cycle of dumb, you know, where they're always getting into exile back and forth. Every single time they found themselves in the cycle of dumb, it was a dislocating experience, right? It was dislocating for Esther as she risked her own life to save her people. It was dislocating for Ruth in her loyalty to a woman that was not her own blood. What a relational dislocation that was felt even in the time of Jesus. Thank God for dislocation. Jonah in the belly of the whale and the belly of the big evil empire Nineveh. If that's not a dislocating experience, being in the belly of a whale, I'm not sure what is, right? (laughs) There's Isaiah who was praying one day in the temple and found himself surrounded by the glory of God. And the angels touched his lips with hot coals and he said, I am undone. I am dislocated. Samuel, David, Solomon, all the prophets, list just keeps going. All these dislocating experiences. Paul, who was blinded, fell off his horse on his way to kill Christians, but whose dislocating experience so pulled his life out of place that he ended up from being the most Jewiest of Jews to the evangelist to the Gentiles, so much so that he ended up eating meals with them and sharing homes with them and calling them brothers and sisters. Whoa, talk about relational and social and intellectual and spiritual dislocation. And then there's Jesus. Jesus, who more often than not was actually the source of dislocation for other people, right? Who, who um, like the Pharisees, like the powerful people, like those who were in power, he was the source of dislocation for the ones who got healed, who got their bones and their eyes and their lives properly put back into place again, the outcasts, the marginalized, properly located again, 
who himself was the very embodiment of dislocation on the cross in his death and in his resurrection. If that's not dislocation, I don't know what it is. And of course, we have Pentecost, right? And the gift of the Holy Spirit to the people of God, I think in the most dislocating of ways. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be there on that day, right? All the, the noise and all the wind and all the confusion and all the dislocation that was happening as they heard their own languages from people who shouldn't be speaking them. And I often think about what it was like for the people who saw it, but what was it like for the apostles who experienced it? Tongues of fire on your head? I imagine them looking at each other going like, you got one too? You know, like what, right? Dislocating experiences. And then when Peter's voice rings out, which should be this sort of, this, this speech of clarity and comfort to bring the confusion to the end. I don't think you realize how dislocating the words are that he says. He says the Spirit of God is going to be on all people. It's going to be on the, the Gentiles. It's going to be on the women. It's going to be on the slaves. It's going to be on the people who should not be dreaming dreams. Old men should not dream dreams, but there they are doing it. That's what happens when the Spirit of God falls on the people and we receive it. That's what Pentecost is about. It's about these dislocating experiences where everything's going to be all kinds of different, all kinds of change. I think you get it, right? Like we worship and we believe in and we stand in the presence today of a dislocating God who pulls everything out of place, but sometimes that's just what you need to get going in the direction you're supposed to be going. It's how we get to be the people we are supposed to be, and sometimes it hurts, and sometimes we don't like it, and sometimes it makes us feel anxious and afraid and uncomfortable, and we are going to be inexorably changed by it. It's exactly like Jesus says in Luke 9 when he says, For those who want to save their life must lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will save it. What does it profit them if they gain the whole world, but they forfeit themselves? Thank God for dislocation. You see, if you want the direction, and you want the presence and you want the spirit in your life, if you want to believe what Peter says in our text for today about calling on the name of the Lord and being saved, then you're going to have to be willing to be dislocated. You're going to have to be willing to let things get pulled out of place in uncomfortable and sometimes painful ways because one does not happen with the other, right? Spirit-filled lives don't happen without dislocation. If you want to save your life, says Jesus, then you have to lose it. And I gotta be honest with you, it kinda sucks, right? But here's the good news, and here's the truth. You're gonna be okay, right? That's also what Jesus says. He says you'll be changed, but you'll be okay. Your life will be saved even if you lose the life that you know and feel so comfortable and like so much, right? You will be okay. Abraham was okay. And Jacob was okay. And Joseph and Jonah and Moses and Isaiah and Ruth and the prophets and Paul and Peter and all the folks at Pentecost, they were okay. And you will be okay too. 
and I will be okay too. Just one more thing, one last story. It's sort of related, kind of not, but you'll see. About two years ago, I was in the ER again with my daughter, Kala, and ironically, she was having respiratory distress. She had a terrible case of croup. She couldn't breathe very well, so I took her to the ER, and I was sitting there in the ER, ER waiting for the breathing treatment to take effect, and this guy walks in the room, and he says, Miss Roller, do you know who I am? And I looked at him. I didn't know his name, but I knew exactly who he was. And I said, you're the doctor that popped my knee back into place. And he said, is this the, the baby? And I said, yeah. And he's like, I, he's like, that was a crazy day. And I was like, I know. Um, here's my point. You remember the people who put your lives back into place. And you also remember the people whose lives you put back into place, right? So be the kind of spirit-driven person that puts people's lives back into place because that's what God does for us. God's not just a dislocating God. God is as much a relocating God too, pulling everything back into the place and sometimes exactly where it should be. In a few minutes, we're gonna partake of the sacrament of Holy Communion. And this is the night, this is the, this, the sacrament where we remember Jesus' own dislocating experience on the cross. We remember that. That's what we celebrate in this moment. And I can't help but think that there are times when we come to this table that, that the act of coming to this table together feels so dislocating, right? You've had those experiences before, haven't you? Where you come here and you just feel all kinds of pulled out of place by this act of communion and then there are other times when we come and it is this incredibly relocating experience where everything just seems to get pulled together. And every time, it's something different. It depends on who we are and where we're at and what's been happening that week in our life or what other things have been going on. But I don't want you to come to this table without it being one of the two of those. Either it's pulling you back into place or it's popping everything out, right? That's what happens at this table. You are changed by it. By God's grace, I pray that this is true for you today, and I pray that the dislocating God that we worship and serve would be present and doing what God does in your life this week. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, it is the scariest thing in the world to open ourselves up to pain and discomfort and dislocation. But Lord, we trust in you. Help us to really do it. Help us to really trust in ways that surprise us and scare us and are ultimately good for other people around us as we put their lives back into place. There is no way we can do it as individuals without your spirit there is no way we can do it as a church without you. So just be with us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.